The best thing that I saw on the internet this weekend, and then a conversation with Pastor Jim Scudder Jr. Some lessons from ministry in a different context, and later, what's the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking? You're listening to The Common Grid. Friends, welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us. I almost said a Monday, but a Tuesday afternoon, Labor Feels Day. like Monday, doesn't it? <clears throat> Labor Day is going to throw us, but hopefully everybody had a great three-day weekend. I was driving yep. yesterday. We had to go somewhere, and I was like, man, I thought we'd run into a lot of traffic. It was like, tra- and I was like, oh. Nobody's working today. This and nobody's is a out thing. in the world. They're all hanging out at home. That's it's right. Uh, before I ask you about your weekend, I know you did some big things this weekend. Uh, let me instead ask you about today, because today is finally the rest <gasps> oh. of the Samson boys go back to college. Aubrey, they you are finally. You are, you are Mel Gibson from Braveheart right now. You're just yelling <laughs> freedom around your house. <laughs> that is so accurate that is beyond accurate (laughs) except okay can i like can i be that person right now who's been like so ready for this to happen yes the morning came really fast like i we're gonna talk later i flew in from seattle last night and the morning came quickly it was chaos i got to school my youngest son has a lot of medical needs so i have to get all of paperwork and stuff at school i had called the doctor, they said everything was there. I called the school. They said everything was there. When I got there, they're letting me know it's not all there. So <laughs> I was rushing around. So I feel like tomorrow is going to feel like freedom. Like today feels a little chaotic and stressful. Tomorrow's the day. Tomorrow's the day. There is that moment where you also realize like, oh, now for the next nine months, I have to get up early with my children. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Like my alarm went off and I was like, oof, oof. I kind of forgot about this. <laughs> forgot about this but it's good i'm glad they're back the time has come it is weird because um you and i've talked about this but your kids going back to school after labor day that's all i was used to growing up we always yeah which makes sense to me like i feel like that's actually kind of like quote unquote right if there's a right decision here but it feels so long because all the other kids have been back for at least a week or two yeah to hear your kids just starting school today does feel Mm -hmm. like like there's mm-hmm. high school kids that are halfway through their semester. It feels like <laughs> <laughs> I know my son's, my oldest son's already taken finals. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, uh, he's already for Christmas break or whatever he's ready for. So, uh, so oh, Aubrey man. has found the freedom that she has been Woo-hoo! searching for. Congratulations! Right. Now you just touched on it this weekend, uh, Labor Day weekend. A lot of us were relaxing. I was doing yard work and mowing the lawn, went to my son's football game last night. We're doing fun stuff like that. That's awesome. Uh, Going to a pool, you know, fun stuff like that. You're working this weekend. You were, you were grinding. Tell us about your weekend. This was definitely not, this was not a weekend off. It was a great weekend. I actually want to talk a little bit about some lessons I learned later ministering in a different context, but I flew to Seattle to this Pacific Northwest on Saturday and uh, spoke at a church there a uh, great church called Timberlake Church. Three services, though, Brian. And so it is like it requires a lot of energy, even if it requires a lot of energy for a pastor who didn't just travel across the country. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But for the preacher who's there and has also traveled across the country and there's a time change and didn't sleep well at the hotel, it 
it took a lot out of me, but it was fun. I mean, it was so, so fun. And then I have a really good friend who lives in the Seattle area. So I got to spend a little time with her. And then, like I said, flew home, flew home yesterday, got the kids ready for to bed. And then here we are. Here so, we are this afternoon. That's awesome. So later on, we'll touch on some of the more important stuff. But can I just can, can I ask you something about your social media account? Uh, you shared a story from the airplane that, oh, Brian. that was, oh, Brian. It, it just needs to be talked about. Yeah. Yes. In fact, it needs to. And I posted about it on many places. Cause I was like, I can't keep this to myself. So I, I start my flight, little innocent, naive Aubrey is very excited about her plane ride. Cause I had some homework to do some reading to do and some movies to watch. And so, you know, a flight to Seattle is a great excuse to get caught up on life. Well, middle of my flight, I'm just minding my own business, engaging in the things I need to engage in. And I realized the couple next to me who, by the way, I'm so I'm in an aisle seat. They're middle and window. Yep. They're not a young couple. Now, they might be a new couple. I don't know. I don't know how long they've been together, but not youngsters or an okay? out of bounds couple. Maybe they were going somewhere that their other significant others didn't no. know. OK, th- that actually that could be a very accurate assessment. All of a sudden, I realized, like, what is happening? There's a lot of movement over there. And <laughs> I'm, I'm, so, I'm such an introvert on a plane. I tend not to want to even make eye contact with people because I don't want to get into a conversation I can't get out of. You know what I mean? Yes. But I, I did. I took the risk to glance over it. And I noticed, like, literally, the guy is in the window seat. The gal is in the middle. He's got his arm around her. And he is trying to, like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, like lunge her up onto his lap. <laughs> So he's like, he's like lifting her up. And all of a sudden I realize like, oh, they are full on making out. Like he's rubbing her butt. And I'm, I hope it's okay if I say this on the air, I'm right next to them. And I see the hand rubbage happening. And I'm like, don't look, don't look. What do I do? OMG. And then I just started taking pictures of myself because I was like, this is. We could have needs to be what we needed was captured. a what we needed was a selfie with you with them in the background is what we all <laughs> needed. I should have done that. It is what we all needed. I, the hard part is like I didn't know like do you say something do you not no, say something? No. I didn't say anything. I just turned the volume up on my iPad. I stayed focused. But I mean they were there was a little bit of me that was like good for them. No, you know, after no. all these years, but most of me was like this is this is unnecessary. Yeah. This is gross. I'm trapped here. I was so proud of myself too about getting a aisle seat, and then just realized like I was trapped. I got to be honest. Like I'm sure I'm sure you did great eternal work this weekend, great ministry. <laughs> but that it has to be the best part. That's that is that is it right I there. I just wish I could explain to you like how in an airplane. He's trying to get this woman on his lap. Oh, I think like, we could all picture it. I think we could all picture it. It was not okay. It was not okay. All right. So that might have been uh, the worst part of Aubrey's so, weekend. But let me so tell you. I'm glad I got to vent about oh, that. Oh, when I saw right. that, I went, oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, let me tell you about the best thing I saw on the internet all weekend. I don't know if Ooh, you okay. saw this because you were running around crazy. Did you see the viral video clip uh, of the Foo Fighters concert the other night? That was, it was a tribute concert honoring their late drummer, uh, Taylor Taylor Hawkins. Hawkins. Taylor Hawkins, a very famous drummer who died. uh, Just recently, right? I think it was about six months ago. spring or something? Yeah, I think it was late winter. Um, He died while on tour and he was 50 years old, uh, some drug issues and other things. But Mm -hmm. he very famous. Mm -hmm. Foo Fighters really haven't played 
at all since. So there was a tribute concert at, at, in London for him. And Aubrey, here's the viral clip. Their famous song, Hero. You know, there goes yeah. my hero. And I've been singing it all well, weekend now. Singer. Yeah. Uh, there's immense drum solos in there that are Taylor okay. Hawkins. Oh, wow. Accompanying Foo Fighters on the drum set was Taylor Hawkins' 16-year-old son. <gasps> Come on, really? And he was unbelievable. You've got to Google this. Oh, I got to watch this video. Aubrey, you're listening to the Foo Fighters and you're getting chills going, that is Mm. his son. There's another clip Mm. of uh, what's the lead singer of Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl. Uh, Dave Grohl. Singing another one of their famous songs, a more ballady, It's Times Like These. Uh, and he's just uh, weeping, weeping through man, it. Dave Grohl has been through so much Nirvana. Loss. Like you, yeah. Th- yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like first he lost Kurt Cobain. And I mean, sure, there's been other people in his life, too. But what a cool thing that his 16 year old son did this it in was. honor of his dad. That must have been so meaningful for for him, for the band, for a lot of people. It kind of makes you cry. Like I, I actually just, no, you watch I just opened <clears throat> I just opened up the video on Twitter and it it it's pretty emotional. And here's the crazy thing is he carries the song. It's not like, mm. oh, we're going to have this 16-year-old who's kind of just banging on the drums. Like he's actually really good. Like prodigy good. Like wow, unbelievable. And you're just – the kid plays with such emotion, and you can't help but go – part of that emotion is thinking about his dad while he's doing this, just banging mm. on there. And, you know, you don't want to mm. psychoanalyze too much. Who knows what? But a very emotional concert. If you have not seen that clip, uh, you got to go check it out. Uh, Unbelievable. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You got to go check it out. Marbury, one of the things we talk about, especially as we come up towards an election, coming up a very important election later on this year, uh, is Christians and politics. Uh, yeah. You know, whether it be this whole idea uh, of Christian nationalism and what is that, or just more broadly, what should we as Christians, how do we view our mission, our role within a society, our role within politics? And mm. uh, it's kind of an evergreen conversation, but it came to me again. There's a, uh, a, um, a Twitter account called the New Evangelicals, and they kind of they poke a lot about what they hear, especially from people that they deem to be uh, spewing Christian nationalism. And with that yeah, in mind, yeah. They played this video by a man, a pastor by the name of Samuel Duth, D-U-E-T-H. And Samuel Duth did what a lot of people do. First of all, why are all these pastors shooting videos in their cars? Can I just ask that question? I think they're all I, I think they're all stealing this idea from Jackie Hill Perry because she would like be picking up her kids from carpool or like be in the parking lot or something. And she would shoot a video. And of course, she's amazing. So they were really good. But I swear these other pastors have started following suit because they're like, oh, it's quote unquote working for her. But I'm sorry, if you're not Jackie Hill Perry, like, I don't know if you should be doing that. Like, you don't need to do that just because she does. They're all copying her. That's what I think. Okay. I know Donald Miller was doing it for a while. And anyway, so this guy's in his car. Maybe you need to do it, Brian. But where's it, your where's your car video? But the weird thing is he's you could clearly see, and I'm thankful for this, he's not driving. So like I'm like, I don't know. Maybe go in your <laughs> office, go outside yeah, to a bench. Waiting. He's waiting for something. Uh, probably. <laughs> Maybe he's in a he's in a like a line at Starbucks or something like that. <laughs> he's a little angry for the Starbucks line. Mm-hmm. So I want you to hear what he has to say. He talked about um 
What is the Christian's role with politics, with bigger than that, towards the nation, towards the country? Uh, and he's at a church called Awaken Church. So I want you to hear what he says. And Aubrey, I, I want us to have, um, I want to get your initial reaction, but then I want to ask this question. Anything he says true here? Is this all good, okay. all bad? Where okay. do we think and where do we think it might be off? So let's listen to this guy. Again, going back to the whole Christian nationalist thing, which is such a crazy buzzword. The truth to me is, if you're a Christian and you're not into your nation, you're not into saving your nation, preserving your nation, redeeming your nation, taking over your nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the original mandate of all believers. And I think you're missing the concept of the gospel. Every single one of us have been given a directive by God to redeem the world, to take dominion, to advance on this earth, right? So every single one of us have got to step up, rise up, engage the world, engage culture, bring the truth of God's word to the world that's around us, resist the madness. Do not buy into the lies of godless liberal uh, extreme anti-biblical culture, but also, and almost more dangerous, is those who call themselves believers but reject God's word, and they basically take all of the world's ideologies and grab onto them. So to me, most of the time, a deconstructionist is somebody who sounds a lot like an atheist, God-hating liberal. All right, so there's my question for you. Uh, what was your initial reaction to when I sent you this video to watch? So I, I will tell you, <laughs> my my initial reaction was at first I was like, yeah, Christians should love their nation. Yeah, Christians should want to share the gospel and see it spread throughout the land. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, wait. Oh, oh, ew. Like I ended mm. kind of with ew. And I here's why. I actually think some of the things he said are right and true and good. So I don't think we need to dismiss all of it. But generally speaking, I just cannot stand any pastor that is using name calling, labels, uh, rhetoric to like demean or dismiss a group of people. And that's exactly what happened. Like mm -hmm. he started out okay. Like let's like, let's inspire the people. And then all of a sudden he started using language like, godless liberal deconstructionists are atheists blah 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 and to me i just shut down at that point because i'm mm. like look you're name calling you're lumping a bunch of people together you're saying us versus them you're making a dividing line you're not assuming nuance you're not for the common good like you're doing all the things that you and i sit here and talk about saying pastors shouldn't do there's a way to share that same message without having to uh like isolate and denigrate who you these stereotypes of people that so anyway it i felt like you at the, <laughs> to be honest. i felt like a, that's a really that's a really academic uh response <clears throat> i said ew so our role in culture he's trying to say we have a mandate from jesus to go into yeah. the world with the gospel i think you and i would agree yeah. with that yeah 100% i think where we would disagree let me put words in your mouth but what i think where i would part ways with this guy is I don't believe that that's primarily done by Christians taking over the government. Uh, there you go. And that's what it feels like he is saying. Hey, we're you have a mandate from God to go and make disciples, to go into the world with the gospel. 
there's all this godlessness in our government, in our in our culture. So we have to go change that. Uh, yeah. We have to go bring about change. Uh, I start to get uncomfortable when the message is we have a mandate to go and make disciples. Therefore, we must seize the power of the state house of the White Agree. House, Agree. because anytime there is. Hey, therefore, we have to get in power. That's not the way that Jesus went about it. That's not the way the early church went about it. That's not the way church history has gone about it. And what we've seen in our own culture is that grab for power has not been done through altruistic, let's go and and influence people with the gospel. The two don't go hand in hand. I also think, too, if we really are talking about the Great Commission, like the Great Commission is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And and to me, this is so myopic, focusing on, like, let's make America great again, you know, and I, I'm saying that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but I mean it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, missing out, that like, the call is not just to like quote unquote save america and like you said take over political power but to like spread the message of the love and transformation and salvation of jesus christ the authority of jesus christ to the ends of the earth and so i do think sometimes we miss when we think like we're just supposed to focus on like you said taking back political power or taking political power for the first time or making the i don't know it's just like we forget the kingdom that we belong to yeah. i think that's what i'm trying to say like we are as Christians part of God's kingdom and God's way and the way of Jesus. And we, that's whose kingdom we belong to. That's the sovereign that we like bow down to and serve, not the sovereignty. We can love our nation without bowing down to the sovereignty of Mm. it. And sometimes I think that's where this messaging gets mixed up, this Christian nationalism, which I know he's saying it's a buzzword, but I think it's a buzzword for a really, uh, Good reason. Meaningful purpose. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> is we start worshiping the wrong kingdom. Yeah. And this doesn't mean that's pe- what I'm trying to say. this does not mean Christians should not get involved in politics. Well, you and I would say right. they absolutely should. But yep. I don't think yep. it is for the purpose of turning the nation uh to the gospel. And ter- because every time we've seen this attempted, this kind of seizing of power, this we're yeah. gonna go and put get all like it does it. It doesn't end up being the way of Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. end up yeah, going. Yeah, never does. You're right. You're it becomes right. a power grab cloaked in Christianese and Christian words. And I think yeah. that's where we see the danger. So uh, you might disagree with us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, what do you think about those words of a pastor? I am thrilled to be joined by a teammate, somebody here on AM 1160. Uh, you've probably heard him on these airwaves. His name is Pastor Jim Scudder Jr. Jim, how are you doing today? Hey, Brian, I'm great. How are you doing? It's good. It's good to be back. The kind of fall is upon us. School is here. Yeah. And here we go. So it's it's great to be with you. As I said in, in the intro there, most people know you uh, who are at AM 1160. But for those who don't, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I'm a pastor in Lake Zurich, Illinois. So we're right here in the suburbs of Chicago. Grew up here, uh, born in Miami, but pretty much my whole life has been Chicago. So Bears, Cubs, Blackhawks. <laughs> Don't love the socks. Sorry, half of you. <laughs> anyways, uh, I hate the Packers, so I definitely endeared all of them. There you go. There you go. But anyways, uh, just just love serving the Lord in, in our area here and then also having a national voice um, preaching and also creating some programming that is unusual for Christian radio and television. Uh, we're on TBN every week on Wednesday nights, and we 
also on that, uh, it's like at the Christian Adventure show, we take the audio from that, re-edit re it, and air it on our weekend In Grace radio show. So that's where everyone with AM 1160 uh, will be able to hear this Friday a 9-11 special that we did mm -hmm. featuring uh, a, a true American hero. And so we're on every day. I don't think many of you get up at 4 a.m. At least I hope you don't. <laughs> but uh, believe it or not, I have people it that does. tell me, I heard you this morning. I can't believe you get up that early. I'm like, no, listen, you know, sorry to disappoint you. It's not live. <laughs> and then 10, uh, 10 o'clock. And um, so, th and then on Friday, it's going to be this special weekend edition, which is this 9-11 story. And then on a Saturday as well, I think you guys air us a few times. Great. And without without ruining the story, we want people to come back and listen. But you were telling me a little bit off air. Give us a taste of it, because it really is a remarkable story as we remember the events of 9-11 coming up this weekend. So we were contacted by this this guy who's a Christian, and uh, he is actually a CPA of all things. But he was um, was a Marine. I know that's not the right way to say it. He is mm -hmm. a Marine, but he's not active. And uh, he was he was in an office building in Connecticut on 9-11, and he immediately knew what was going on when the plane, the first plane hit. He said, this is terrorism. It's Al-Qaeda, like he had been following this. And he just starts driving down toward the smoke. Second plane hits. He goes to his church, prays, goes get some gear. He kept a – his name is David Carnes, by the way. He kept a military, a fully pressed Marine uh, uniform in his closet for a day like this, when America mm. would be attacked. This is how amazing That's crazy. this guy is. Yeah. And so he starts going in. And, you know, those first those first hours on 9-11, when we all saw the, the buildings on fire and then we all saw them collapse, you know, it our, our, our whole psyche as a nation just fell with those buildings. Mm -hmm. Well, they pulled, after they had lost so many, you can imagine the firefighters and cops and, you know, paramedics are all pulling out. It's a, it's a horrible, it's like hell, literally, mm -hmm. in that in that epicenter. He goes in with another Marine when everyone else had pulled out. They said, don't go in. He just went in. And very, very uh, dangerous situation. But somehow in all of that rubble, because he had actually worked in the World Trade Centers, not in the Twin Towers, but in one of the auxiliary buildings. So he knew the area very well. And he is calling out, calling out. Of course, it seemed like no one could possibly be alive. For sure. But then he hears voices. And there were only a few people that survived the, the collapse of those buildings. He found two of them. So we went and retraced all of his steps from Connecticut to his church in uh, New York to actually Ground Zero. We filmed at the, the beautiful memorial there with the waterfalls. And we went down into the museum. And, and they allowed us to do all this because he's a hero. I mean, he's an American yeah. hero. And we told his story and it was his first time back and he was, he was emotional and telling it, but you know, the, all the, the movie producers, television shows, books, they all wanted his story and they wanted to pay him handsomely. He was like, only if I have full editorial rights, which nobody's going to give that. Yeah. So he says, I want to use my story for Christ. I want to use my story for the gospel. And so somehow, some way he gave us in grace, a exclusive on the story. And we obviously didn't pay him anything because mm -hmm. we don't have, we don't have enough money to do that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was a wonderful experience to get his story out there to tell his story. So we're going to air that um, this Friday and this Saturday. And Brian, mm -hmm. he's coming. He's coming to our area. Oh, that's awesome, Chicago. I'm going to pick him up sat this Saturday at O'Hare and bring him out to our church. And on Sunday, he's going to be a guest of honor 
and and speak a little bit about what he experienced that day. And we're honoring first responders at an event at our church. Oh, good for you guys. And uh, let me ask you this real fast. And then I want to talk more about the event at your church because you guys are doing some fun stuff and some cool stuff. Uh, why do stories of heroism, in your opinion, resonate so much? Why do we just love to hear them? Why are they important for us to tell? I wonder if it's because we want to be that hero mm-hmm. um, or we, we feel like we need rescue. And, and a lot of times in life, it's like we're stuck. Uh, we, you know, how are we ever going to get out of this situation, whatever it is? And either we, we want to be the hero or we need the rescue. So I think that's yeah. why the stories of rescue resonate. And you look at any plot in any book or movie, it's about that suspenseful, tense moment where, you know, there's a hero. Yeah. And he he is a hero. I love I love Dave Cards because he said I'm not going to profit from this. I don't think it's right. Now many did. He doesn't criticize the people that profited from 9/11. He said I'm just not going to do it. Mm-hmm. He said my rewards in heaven. <laughs> and just a wonderful wonderful attitude for all of us to have and to say listen, are what why are we here? Yeah. And, yeah. And he wants to use the story of he said I'm not a hero and and every hero will say that I'm not a hero. But he is. And we want to yeah. recognize him and first responders in our area. We're having the fire department come and all the police departments. And we give them free access to this big uh, event and this big challenge course that we're doing on Sunday. Yeah, which is a good segue. Tell us about the challenge course that people can come do, the fun stuff you guys are doing this Sunday. All right. We call it Epic Challenge. We've been doing this for a number of years. We do it around 9-11 this year. It's on Sunday. So 9-11 on Sunday uh, at 10 o'clock. And into 11 o'clock in our, in our main auditorium in our church, will will hold a couple thousand people. We have everyone come dress casual. Uh, we're, we have uh, some different fun things that we're going to do in the auditorium. And then at, uh, at 1030, there's a canine demonstration, a police dog. If you ever seen a canine demonstration, you will no. never, ever disobey an order <laughs> of a cop. Because those things are, they're amazing dogs. So anyways, they're doing a demo on the stage. And then at 11, we start this big ceremony. We have all these first responders come up and we, we honor them, thank them. And uh, then we're going to hear from Dave Carnes, our hero. And then after that, everyone goes outside. We have this massive, kind of like a Ninja Warrior course. We have in, huge inflatables that are like challenge inflatables. We have other other um, items. So how we do this, Brian, is we we want to make sure we minister to dads and kids. So mm. we want the dads, we want the kids. So what we've done is designed two challenges, one for an adult, one for a kid, but they're the same challenge. They're just smaller. So oh, okay. dads and kids can go together and do all of these. So there's plenty to do for all of you that um, still have... Uh, for some reason, you think this is fun to go and, and torture yourself on these on these yes. things. You know, we in the past uh-huh. we've had let's say the like the salmon ladder and that warp wall and all of these things. So we have all of these fun different uh, activities uh, for the rest of the afternoon. And That's again, awesome. first responders are free, and and we want them to bring their kids and their their family. That's awesome. My back just hurts listening to it. But <laughs> yeah. I know for most people, uh, this is awesome. We want people to come to it. We want people to hear them. So remind people, name of your church, address, website, all of that stuff where they can get more information. All right. So we're on Quentin Road. The name of our church is Quentin Road Baptist Church. So if you if you just Google Quentin Road, you'll find it uh, or Quentin Road Epic. Uh, you'll you'll find the information if you want to come and register or just come for the service. A lot of people just come at 10:30 they come for the service they might hang around and watch participants you know 
mm-hmm. that's my my job is to uh, encourage people. <laughs> I'm not going to go out there and, and make a fool of myself. But uh, just come and honor, first of all, um, those that died on 9-11. Yeah. Second of all, the hero, um, Dave Carnes. And then he's he's going to point to the real rescue, which is Jesus. Mm, you know, yeah. we're all enslaved to sin. We're, our penalty of sin is death. But Jesus, the great rescuer, uh, mm. volunteers. He comes, uh, leaves the glory of heaven and comes into an inferno. Uh, he lives among us. He never sins. He dies. But in that death, he actually gains the victory for in three days he rose again. And anyone who will just trust in him will be saved. And not just saved mm. for that moment, but, but saved for eternity. Amen. Thanks for that word. Again, Quinton Road Baptist Church coming up this Sunday. Lots of great stuff. Uh, Pastor Jim Scudder Jr., you can hear uh, his radio show as well here on AM 1160. Jim, it's always great to catch up. I hope this weekend goes wonderfully. Thanks for all you guys are doing. Thank you, Brian. And remember, on the radio, we're going to feature part one of Heaven Sent Rescue this weekend. And then Mm -hmm. part two, which is the actual rescue, is next weekend. So you're going to have to listen both weekends. Uh, to Friday or Saturday on AM 1160 to hear this incredible story. And I encourage you, if you get TBN, watch it on Wednesday nights at 6.30 or at 5.30 uh, Central Time, or go to our YouTube channel because you can watch it right now. Um, You can at least watch part one right now on our YouTube channel, which is In Grace. So uh, thanks, Brian. You you guys are amazing. Really appreciate you. Thanks, Jim. We appreciate you. You're all over the place. YouTube, all over the place. So fortunately, work, uh, it's it's like my editors uh, send. It there out. you go. I, I just sit here, you know. There you go. Well, we hope this weekend goes great. Again, Jim Scudder Jr., uh, Quinton Road Baptist Church. As we said earlier in this show, it was Labor Day weekend. Yes. Yesterday was Labor Day. So tell me about your Labor Day weekend, Brian. Yeah, mine was pretty chill. Did you see your son play? He played last night. He played a football game last night, which was a lot of fun. Good. They lost. The other team was very big. (laughs) Very good. Uh, But it was really fun. It was really fun. Um, You know, I I had much more of a chill Labor Day weekend than you did normally. We did our normal church stuff. Kids were able to sleep in. Uh, I'm trying to remember Saturday. We went uh, to my sister-in-law and brother-in-law's pool. Uh, all stuff like that. It was really fun. It was a good weekend. Ah, it wasn't. I did some so enjoyable. I did weeding outside. Uh, you know. Oh, that, that kind of and stuff. you love that. You love yard love work. Love it. Love yard work. So, so you were like in your element. So my weekend was chill. It was fun. It felt like my family fun. after all the festivities of the past couple of weeks of taking my daughter to college yeah. and getting my son started at a new school and my daughter started. It felt like we needed just a deep breath. So this weekend felt like a little bit of a deep breath. Oh, I'm so glad you got that. That's that's very, very enjoyable. Um, okay, so Brian, we talked about how this Labor Day, I actually flew out to Seattle and spoke at a church out there, Timberlake Church, and wanted to talk to you about some some lessons I learned as a, a communicator there. Mm-hmm. And I know not everyone is a everyone who listens is like writing sermons and and uh, giving sermons, but I think it was an interesting lesson in the way we talk about Jesus. Uh, period, whether or not you're doing it just conversationally, you're doing it from a pulpit. So they asked me to come out and um, do a message on lament. Okay. Okay. Which is like, you know, my thing at this point. Do you ever get tired of speaking on lament or you like, nope, this is my Uh, thing? Like, is there come a point where you're like, no, not yet, because I, I feel so passionate about the church, like normalizing and learning how to lament that I get excited when churches want me to talk about it. It's so new to a lot of people. Um, But I do sometimes think, 
I know I've told this story many times <laughs> yes. on podcasts, at other churches. I, so I'm also like, are people tired of my stories? Yeah. Wait, did I already tell this at this church? You know, like that kind of thing. Um, so sometimes I'm like, I need some fresh stories. But anyway, so this church is a like a larger church. So they've got several campuses. And because of that, it's a little bit different. Like they want you to send them your whole manuscript in advance. Sometimes I speak at churches that do. And sometimes I speak at churches that don't. This one was what, and part of it is they create, they create notes and they create slides and it's all part of their like production. But part of it is because I was a guest speaker. They wanted to look over it and give me feedback before I spoke. Okay. So I, I essentially took, I had, I spoke at Christ church of Oakbrook a couple weeks ago uh, on lament And so I essentially took the same sermon, but I used a different passage of scripture, but similar points. Okay. So anyway, long way of, of getting into the fact that they, they gave me a call and they were like, Hey, this all looks great. The only thing is because they're in Seattle, most of their people are Microsoft execs, Google execs, tech people, right? Like you are in the middle of tech there in Seattle. And so they were like, this sermon is strong on Bible and you've got a lot of good, funny stories. It's also strong on feeling, but you need to add logic. Like we need data here in Seattle. And so for the first time, this was actually a really interesting muscle for me, Brian, as a communicator, I had to research like the science of grief, the science of like the neuroscience around sorrow and find data to back up the things I was saying and add it to my sermon. And I'll be honest, at first I felt very, I'm like, this is so unnatural for me. Like I'm not a scientist. This was not my preaching training. So this is strange. Like I, you know, I come from probably similar to you, like more of just, we're just more expositional at our church and just here in the Chicagoland area. A lot of pastors preach that way. Um, and that doesn't mean they don't bring in data, but like, I just didn't have like the sciencey tech people in my mind. Yeah. So it, again, it felt a little unnatural. Like all of a sudden I'm like, Dr. Mary Frances O'Connor from the University of Arizona is studying neuroscience. But it was so interesting to find out how so much of data and science really backs up what the Bible has to say about sadness and sorrow and, and giving thanks in the middle of all of it. And And anyway, I had so many people say they really liked that. That part specifically was very helpful for them. Really? So this was an interesting lesson for me, Brian, in like contextualizing a message. Like you can have the same message, but like you're going to tune it to a totally different ear depending on who you're talking to. And there are ways to do that that might feel unnatural, but actually really connect with people. That's fascinating to me. It got me. It? it got me thinking. Like, what is, uh, what what would you tell somebody from that church if they were uh-huh. coming back here? Or yeah, like it reminds yeah. me. I remember a story. Uh, I was talking to a friend in Boston, in the Boston area, where uh, how would you classify that area of New England? That there's not there's more colleges there than anywhere. There's okay. more. Um, Right. Like if you think yeah. of the academic hub of our country, That's it's going to be Boston, educated. right? It's going to be Boston. Right. And right. so this person, I don't remember if they were a pastor or they were telling me about their pastor. I, I don't remember it now. But to what you said, when this pastor would get up to speak, it's very intellectual. 
Mm-hmm. And so they would get up and bring the stack of books that they used for prep and basically no be like, here's basically as like saying, here's what I used. You wow. let me tell let me let me share what kind of the background of these that were as opposed to like, yeah, you know, I used that one commentary in this. It was like, hey, here's here's the reading I did. Now you know I've done the wow. work, right? You've know you know that I put in the work here to talk wow. about this. It's kind of that same thing. And I could it never It is that same thing. I could never imagine getting up in our pul- my pulpit here uh-uh, or, and just being that. like no. Here's uh here's right. uh, that well, that right. might appeal to one or two people, but the fact that this person felt the need in their church, by that. Yeah, I think so. So yeah. I wonder. You know, it, that's interesting too, because going back to Seattle, like it's a um at least this church specifically is they didn't call themselves seeker sensitive. They're definitely attractional, but their big thing is because they don't have people who are, I mean, it's it's very educated people, but not like. Wheaton, Trinity, Northern, like, so there's not a lot of seminary educated people. Mm -hmm. They were like, Hey, it's great. If you want to give background on this passage of scripture, but like you need to do it in such a way that no one's ever read the Bible and you don't want to make them feel bad about it. So they had me say things like I was talking about the sons of Korah who wrote Psalm 42. And they were like, you need to say things like nobody's ever heard their story. I'm going to tell it to you super quickly. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And like kind of couch it that way so that people aren't turned off. Whereas other churches, I would say in our our context in particular, want to be like, now, where is that story from? You didn't yeah. just make that up, right? That's from the book of Numbers. Okay, you need to tell me where in Numbers and give me all the details. So that it's so fascinating yeah. to me, like different churches, different cultures, different communities. I think if if there was a guest pastor at our church, I think I would say like, yeah, don't be afraid of context, historical context. People really like that. They want to know where it's from. And I would say people really want you to preach um, from the passage. Mm-hmm. Like they want you, if you're going to open up anything, they want you to keep like stay there and teach you from there where this church in Seattle, they were like, hey, you're too centered in this one passage of scripture. Pull stuff from other parts of the Bible as well. So it's just interesting. And just the idea of... There's a bigger conversation there too about um, just knowing your context in general. Yeah. Like, I yeah. don't know. I yeah. like, I think we know that with like ages. Like, if you were to go speak mm-hmm. at a youth conference, you're like, okay, I got to do this. But just yeah. church to church, uh, area to mm-hmm. area, West Coast, East Coast. Like, where I grew up in New Jersey, yeah. it was always very unchurched. So you'd have to probably. Um, not use a lot of Christian lingo is my guess. Yeah. Uh, whereas yeah. in the Bible Belt, you're you know you're humming Michael W. Smith as you sing, right? right? Like <laughs> right, 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 that's right. fascinating. That's yeah, fascinating. I I know. So really interesting as a communicator, and I I do think there's a lesson for any of us who are trying to like tell friends, neighbors, family members about Jesus. Just make sure you're doing it in a way that's actually hitting their ears, not the way you think they need to hear it. And that means, I think, getting to know a people and getting to know a place and and getting to know language and things like that. Anyway, very, very interesting. One of the things that our team here at uh, AM 1160 has been making fun of us about is how often Brian and I say, you and I are both pastors, but here we are. You and I are both pastors, Brian, so we're going to talk about the church. Somebody uh, told us within our station, they said that that they think someday there will be a drinking game created by... (laughs) 
from them. And every time you and I say, one of us says, well, as you know, we are pastors. Uh, you have to drink something. Now, uh, you would, in a very Christian way, you would drink grape juice or you would drink. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we decided we couldn't endorse an actual drinking game. But if you're drinking like iced tea or grape juice but or something. It, it made us laugh because you and I regularly are like, if you listen to the show at all, you know that we're pastors. And so, was, yes, but yes, we like to speak yes. to you as pastors, people who do that in their day job. So. Yes. So uh, we're going to speak to you now as pastors. If you're if you're partaking in the drinking game, this would be a moment to take your shot. But please, we're not condoning. We're not <laughs> shot of grape drinking. juice. Yes. Uh, but Brian, you and I are both uh, church leaders at smaller churches, That's right. at least like you and I would describe them as smaller churches compared like, um, to what people know of the mega church or whatever. Yes. Yes. Now probably they're actually not small churches. Mm-mm. If you think about like every church around the world, because what did we read recently? This, the kind of average attendance in a small church is like 20. No, I believe it was in America. The average church, not of a small church, the average church size has shrunk to 65. Oh, 65. Okay. And so that's in America. Wait, but, and that's not the average small wow. church. That's the average church size. Church. And you're like, wait a minute. So how is that by that logic, case? you and I are leading like medium sized churches. Enormous churches. churches. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that is wild to me. Like 65, 65 people is so interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, Carl Vaders, he's been on the show before. Long he's time kind ago. of the yep. small church, small church guru. He's over at Church Leaders talking about this concept that we do, I think, tend to, I mean, even now, you just said 65 people in church, and I went, whoa, that's interesting. Like, we tend to think the small church is not a valuable church, Um, and part of it is something that we've talked about before, like at church conferences or church events, they usually this featured speakers are not small church pastors they're big church pastors with quote-unquote very successful large ministries large platforms and so you can kind of feel like as a small church pastor well maybe i'm not successful maybe Mm. this isn't you know maybe god isn't doing something in our midst because we're not this massive number but carl vader's is really passionate about like look the small church is the church yeah. period. And yeah. even though some of us might be depressed without a small church attendance, we need to remember that actually like God never, God never called us to fill buildings. Mm-hmm. God never called us necessarily to have these massive churches. Now it's okay. If you have that, I yeah. think that's amazing, but that's not the only sign of like revival and renewal and uh spiritual awakening. He talks about how the church should be emphasizing what Jesus emphasized. And that mm. wasn't necessarily going to church, but being the church and going out into the world. Yeah. I, I do like that. Also, he says, you know, we all talk about how COVID has changed things. And he says that uh, we've romanticized the past when everybody was going to church or everyone mm. was there. He's like, it wasn't so good. But but I do think he is he is saying what a lot of us are feeling, right? Like the whole point of a church can't be how many people you get in the building. Now that's part of it. Like that, like when he says we weren't called to fill buildings, we also weren't told that filling buildings is a bad thing. Right. Right. That's right. But that that's not ultimately the point. So if you can make disciples and, and send people out on mission in the thousands, wonderful. Mm -hmm. But most of us, that's not possible. And these organizations get big and they become cumbersome and 
uh, yeah. pastors become like CEOs more than shepherds. And we've all seen right. this in the last couple of right. years. We, right. How many stories have we done where we say, well, the issue is not just being a megachurch, but let's be honest, a lot of the stories keep coming out of megachurches. And so from megachurches. Yeah. And so I think people like Carl Vaders, who have been at this for decades, want to say, yeah. what's a healthy church look like? What are we mm. actually trying to accomplish, mm. whether in the scale of it is tens or thousands or in, somewhere in yeah. between? What does a yeah. healthy church look like? And can we get off of the hamster reel of trying to go, mm-hmm. I must get bigger, I must get bigger, I must get bigger, mm-hmm. uh, because that burns out pastors. Uh, right. you, and I, you and I are pastors. Uh, that burns <laughs> us out, and it sets up the wrong expectation for people within churches. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Like, it does burn people out. It sets the wrong expectation. And simultaneously, what you said before, I think is exactly right, too. Like, it's also okay to have a growing church because yeah. I, I do think sometimes we can be a little anachronistic and say, oh, Jesus wasn't concerned with going to church. Well, many of his disciples still went to temple mm. and and many of his disciples, I mean, we, we're told like Peter preached and thousands were added to their number. And so I think like, let's... Let's be careful not to be like one model's better than the other, or God is blessing one model more than the other, but to focus on health, like you said, and that's what Carl Vader's is focusing on is so good. And here's what he says. He says this, every church experience should be aimed toward two things. One, magnifying the risen Christ. Mm -hmm. Two, Sending believers out better equipped to love, serve, and share the good news in word and deed. And I think that is so simple, but so right. Like, are our churches magnifying Jesus? Are our churches equipping believers to share the gospel, love their neighbors? Basically, love God, love neighbor is what he's saying here with these two things. And if our churches are doing that, look, you can have a 10,000-person church with multiple campuses, or you can have a 65-person church. And if that's happening, then like God is at work, and that's worth celebrating, don't you think? A hundred percent. And here's the difficult thing, though. We all know this, right? Uh, We've all... Uh, we've all preached this like this weekend at my church. Yeah. I'm preaching about like who we are about, like what are we trying to accomplish? And it's going to be a lot of this conversation. It's when the rubber meets mm. the road, uh, because I do remember I remember years ago when we were first starting and you think you're going to be the next 10,000 person church in town yeah, who's going to save yeah. everybody and whatever else. Right. I remember an elder saying to me, I'd rather have 50 people who are just on fire for the Lord who are living. And I mm. think there was. Wow. I get what he was saying. I, I I quibbled with him a little bit, but at the time that frustrated yeah. me to have an elder mm-hmm. sitting in a room going, Hey, rather than talking Wait. about hundreds, let's just, and I was like, what are we doing now? But now that I've been at it, cause I'm a pastor, if you didn't know that, uh, <laughs> I, I get it. Like I get it. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah. I, I think you can, why not both? You could shoot for both, but oftentimes we just yeah. shoot for, we shoot for the numbers by any means necessary. Yeah. But if you could get to the end of your ministry at your church, whether it's in a year or 50 years and go, my people uh, have been pointed to Jesus. They understand the mm-hmm. gospel. They love the mm-hmm. Lord with all their heart, mind and soul, and they love their yeah. neighbor. They've been sent out on mission. Ultimately, I don't think the numbers actually should matter in that case. Yeah. Yeah. And and the numbers may not be what you think. Like if those 50 people are loving their neighbor towards Jesus 
just because someone doesn't like from there walk into your church building doesn't mean they're not being reached for the gospel. And so I do think even thinking about the way we think about what it means to add numbers is kind of a kind of a different way to think about church as well. But I agree with you. If if our people love God, love neighbor, then, you know, amen, amen and amen. That's that's a really good church. So Mm -hmm. anyway, lots to think about. From us pastors. Ba-dum-bum. All right. Uh, Brian. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for some good news. End of the show on Tuesday evening. And at the end of every show, we love to bring you something to challenge you or inspire you or put a smile on your face. We love going over to the week where they aggregate good news for the week. They just have some fun stories we like to share with you. Brian, I'm going to share the first one. It's out of Pennsylvania. Are you ready for it? I'm ready. Okay. This retiree is cultivating a garden and a community. Hmm. Jerry Mama J. Brockington believes in giving to her neighbors, whether it's tomatoes and cucumbers she grows in her backyard or the knowledge she has about gardening. The Ambler, Pennsylvania resident and Army veteran, remembers watching her great-grandmother out in the garden where she would pick vegetables and give them away. This is where Brockington learned how to build a community. And the retiree told ABC6, as soon as she brought her home, I ran, bought her home, I ran straight to the yard and I visualized using every area of space to grow food. I went door to door, introduced myself and encouraged my neighbors to grow. She started Mama J's Country Gardening as a way to teach her friends and neighbors how to grow vegetables and plants. And it's not just in-person instruction. She records educational videos for her YouTube page and encourages followers on social media to post pictures of their own crops. Her neighbors know they are always welcome to come over for some fresh produce or pick up a new gardening tip. There are times when the only way we're going to get through it is that we work together, Mm. Rockington said. That's pretty cool. So many of these stories we do each week have to do with gardening. That's really good. Gardening and like good neighboring. I love it. That's right. All right. Number two, metal detector detective reunites woman with rings she lost in the ocean. No way. With his metal detector, perseverance, and a little luck, Lou Askey was able to find Francesca Teal's engagement ring after it slipped off her hand and into the water at North Beach in New Hampshire. The ring once belonged to Teal's great-grandmother, and she was desperate to get it back, asking for help on Facebook. Askey saw the message and knew he could offer some assistance. Five years ago, his kids gave him a metal detector, and he's been searching for Mm -hmm. missing items as a hobby ever since. On August 9th, he started looking for the ring at low tide at 4.20 a.m. He said, we've all lost something that was important to us. I had to at least put in the effort. And boy, did he. When he couldn't find the ring that morning, he came back on the 12th. And when that search failed, he returned a third time and a final time on the 14th. After three hours, right when he was about to head home, his metal detector pinged. He scooped up some sand, and that's when he saw Teal's shiny ring. I was so overjoyed, he said. So was Teal, who told the Post. It's amazing that it's his hobby that he can use for such good and give back to someone who is really searching for something that preaches, my friends. There you go. That absolutely preaches. That's a great story right there. Have you? I've kind of always wanted to be one of those metal detector folk. Does kind of feel like fun? Yeah. Doesn't that feel like a fun like I? I would think that they don't really find stuff very often, like anything. I know they probably don't, right? Yeah, but that's a good that's a good story. I like that one. All right, uh, number three, Denver man builds benches for bus stops without seating. Hmm. All it took was some scrap wood for James Warren to make a difference in his Denver neighborhood. 
Earlier this year, Warren noticed a woman at a bus stop sitting in the dirt because there wasn't a bench. I thought I could do something about that. I can build a bench, he told CBS News. His dad builds houses and Warren grew up around tools, so he felt confident he could take scrap wood he collected from neighborhood construction sites and turn it into benches. He built his first bench in just a few hours and placed it at the bus stop. Since then, he has made eight more benches. I just kind of let the wood speak to me, he said, <laughs> each one displaying the words, be kind. Several of his neighbors have said he's inspired them to get involved. What's been really cool is seeing other people online building their own benches or even just taking chairs they were going to throw out and putting them by bus stops instead of letting them go to the landfill, Warren told CBS News. That's clever. That's that a cool nice. little story. I like that. That's like do what you can do to make a difference. There you go. Next one. Custom boots help endangered African penguin get around. With his new padded boots, Lucas, a four-year-old African penguin at the San Diego Zoo, is back on the move. Over the last few years, Lucas has battled a degenerative foot condition known as Bumblefoot. <laughs> <laughs> That's not funny, but it's it is not, funny. But I, my first thought was if I had a band, I would name it Bumblefoot. Uh, <laughs> nice. You would see him listing to the right a bit, and you would see him limping on his left foot. Uh, he received physical therapy, pain medication, and acupuncture treatment, but continued to get sores. That's when the zoo contacted Therapaw, a company that makes rehabilitative and assistive products for animals with special needs. After creating a mold of Lucas's foot, Therapaw created a custom pair of padded orthopedic boots made of rubber and neoprene. Already, they have made a huge difference in Lucas's life, making him more comfortable on his feet and with the rest of his colony. That's nuts that there's an organization that just does that for animals. That's, that that's awesome. Is not, that is nuts. And are you mad that the penguin's name is Lucas? I mean, it's not someone's pet, so I could get past it. But yes, you're if deep a little down, okay. But deep down, like, come on, people, name it a penguin name. I feel like the penguin's name should be Bumblefoot. Like, doesn't that feel like a penguin <laughs> name? That is a, that is a cute penguin name. Oh, that's funny. I, Bumblefoot. I, I know it's a I know it's a condition, but it sure is a cute name for a condition. Okay, well, good for him. Good for Lucas. Good for this organization. All right, here's our final uh, a good story. Nebraska man. Oh, hold on, Brian. Just wait. Uh, hold on. I got to pause and start this over because this headline is huge. Are you ready for I, it? I, I'm now waiting. Yes. It's very, uh, this is very like fall seasonal centric. A Nebraska man paddles 38 miles in his pumpkin. I saw this on the news. <laughs> breaking a world record. Dwayne Hansen hopped inside his giant pumpkin on saturday <laughs> hoping to squash some records bet bet. Bump, specifically the guinness world record of longest journey by pumpkin boat i did not <laughs> did not know this was a thing the nebraska man who was inspired to try this after meeting a woman at a pumpkin growing seminar who previously held the record hansen spent nearly a decade trying to grow a large enough pumpkin until finally big berta came along he hollowed out his 846-pound pumpkin, carved out a cup holder on the side, <laughs> and then went to the Missouri River. <laughs> Hansen's journey wasn't an easy one. He had to be on top of it the whole time, he told News Channel Nebraska, as waves threatened to tip his pumpkin over. You've got to stop everything and just hold on and ride with those waves. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> to be a movie made after this okay after paddling 11 hours in his pumpkin and traveling 38 miles he broke the previous record held by rick swenson who floated 25 miles hansen is now waiting to be verified by guinness world records 
Come on. That's awesome. A pumpkin bone? Uh, he, I saw him. I've ever heard in my life. I saw him interviewed and he talked about like how this has been his dream. And he talked about like <laughs> the, like the years of trying to grow a big enough pumpkin. It was pretty crazy. Come on. Yeah. Is there, are there pictures? Yeah, of this you can online? find him. I got Yes, him. you can. Okay. I have, I have got to find this guy. Well, I hope this, uh, I hope this. Put a smile on your face. It is giving me a good, good chuckle this evening. I got to get out there and get myself a pumpkin boat. That's my plan for the fall. <laughs> Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life.